0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Sports Travel Podcast, where we interview leaders in the sports event industry. This is Jason Gewurz, editor and publisher of Sports Travel, and our guest on this episode is the CEO of the Ironman Group, Andrew Messick. We'll talk with him about how the organization has weathered the pandemic, returned to live events, and what the future holds for mass participation events. It's a great conversation with one of the true leaders in the sports events industry and an organization that continues to expand. But before we begin, this episode of the Sports Travel Podcast is being sponsored by the Teams Conference and Expo, the world's largest gathering of sports event organizers and the destinations and suppliers that serve the sports events industry. Teams 22 will be held at the Oklahoma City Convention Center. Center in October 2022. This year's conference will once again feature the co-location of the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee's SportsLink program and NGB Best Practices seminar, as well as the annual symposium of the National Congress of State Games. For more details on everything we have planned at teams this year, please visit teamsconference.com. And now, on to the conversation. Andrew Messick has had a long career in the sports events industry. He was a senior vice president at the NBA for seven years before joining AEG as president of sports from 2007 through 2011. Since then, he has been the CEO of the Ironman Group and has overseen a major expansion in the company's events portfolio. In addition to its iconic triathlon series, Ironman Group now owns and operates the rock and roll running series and the multi-day road cycling event series Haute Route, and has a strategic partnership with UTMB Group, which organizes ultra-trail running events. The company has also been expanding its virtual events during the pandemic and recently acquired the indoor virtual cycling app FullGas to further push themselves into the ever-growing world of connected fitness. Now, after in-person races dropped off the calendar at the start of the pandemic, Ironman events began coming back in 2021, and expectations are high for the 2022 calendar. In this conversation, Messick discusses how the race series brought back its events, the outlook for the coming year, and how the organization uses its own proprietary CRM system to help determine its future host cities. And we'll also discuss some of the biggest opportunities Ahead in the world of mass participation events, which includes a surprising amount of talk about dirt. With that, we leave you to this episode, and we hope you enjoy the conversation. Andrew Messick, welcome to the Sports Travel Podcast. Uh, Jason, thanks. I'm very happy to be here. Yeah, we're excited to have you, and I appreciate you taking time out of what I know is a busy schedule for you. And I know it's busy because Ironman has been Announcing all kinds of great things uh, of late, uh, whether it's new host cities for your various events or new organizations that you're partnering with and, and acquiring. Uh, it's been a pretty tremendous run for you, it seems, here the last couple years, Andrew. So congratulations on everything that Ironman uh, has been able to accomplish, in some, uh, especially in some pretty difficult times here the last uh, year plus. And you know, I thought Andrew that maybe we kind of start there and, and take a, a broad look at just how business has been for you. I think you know the the mass participation world. It seems to me has had the most difficult time, maybe of anybody in the sports event industry, just by nature of what it is that you do and and the uh, the events that you run. I know it hasn't been easy for anyone, but Andrew, why don't we start there and just kind of give me an idea of what this past you know year and a half to two years has been like for you and your events as uh, as things had to go offline and and come back online
1: well I think there's there's no doubt that this has been the most difficult and challenging couple of years that our company has ever had and and I would say that our industry has ever had you know, we've historically been an events company and between March of 2020 and the middle of August 2020 we didn't operate a single event anywhere in the world and when operating events is, is what you do for a living to be completely Out of business, from an event perspective, uh, is very, very difficult. And so we were and and have been focused on how do we make it through the night and put ourselves in a position where we're looking after our athletes, our host communities, our employees. And so we, like most people in in our industry, were fighting for our lives through much of COVID. And it's nice to be at least what appears to be on, on the back end of COVID. And we're, we're hopeful that there aren't going to be any um, any more significant uh, disruptions due to the virus, and and that we're we're through the worst of it.
0: Andrew, what was what were those discussions like for you and the team at Ironman as you started to bring events back online? Uh, you have your hand in so many different types of events. Uh, obviously, no two are alike, but you've got you know several different series and different types of endurance races and sports that you're involved with did each one have their own nuance as far as how you brought them back online
1: yeah there's there's a lot of nuance and and you, you can imagine that how the difference between a mountain biking events in the Swiss Alps is quite different from a 25 30 forty thousand person marathon you know in the downtown area of a major city, whether that's Las Vegas or Nashville or Singapore or Auckland and New Zealand. Uh, and so the, the protocols are different. The, the way that we interact with our communities are different. The way we interact with our athletes are different. But overall, when we think of this process of coming back to business, it's been great for everybody. Our athletes in every sport really wanna race. Our employees want to organize races. We're all in this business because we're passionate about helping our athletes achieve their dreams. And organizing races is is what we love to do. Uh, Our partners and our host communities want to get back to to something resembling normal. Our our communities want to safely be able to welcome athletes from all over the world to their events. Uh, And our partners want to be back in the the business of communicating with our athletes about what it is that they do. And so, you know, once we've been, you know, really able to convince ourselves and others that we have the ability to safely organize these events and that our COVID protocols around how you manage density minimization and, you know, and, and hygiene and all the different aspects of organizing a race that people have confidence that they can do it safely and it's not just athletes, yeah. but it's athletes, it's staff, it's volunteers, it's, it's communities. Yeah. Once people have that confidence, they're super excited to getting back to racing. And, and that's the thing I think that we hear and feel the most when we're out in the field at events is just how much people have missed being together with other like-minded people, you know, pursuing these you know, ambitious endurance objectives and goals. And so it's been great to start to be able to, to operate races again.
0: And Andrew, I mean, by and large, obviously I realize each race is going to be different depending on what community you're in, what, what type of event you're organizing. But in the broad sense, how much different are these events looking right now than they would have, say, in 2019 before you had to worry yourselves with COVID protocols and, and such? I mean, are they, are they more or less looking the same or is it a, a different workload for your staff as they're organizing these events in the new reality?
1: There's more workload for sure because there's a whole series of, of new process steps that we needed to introduce to to give people ourselves and people confidence that we can do this safely. Uh, but mostly, what we've tried to do is to focus the most on the core event, you know, the actual race, and we've looked for alternatives to the dinners beforehand, awards at the finish you know, the expo, how do you take the parts of the race that aren't necessarily absolutely mission critical and and find other ways to do that? Because a lot of the density and and really what we've been looking to manage is, is density reduction. How do you put people in a place when they're outdoors, where it's less likely that they're going to be in close contact with others? And so we've looked at what are the places where previously we've had lots of people congregating. And, and now can we do virtual athlete briefings? Can those be online as opposed to in-person? You know, what you do at the finish line, how our athletes interact with volunteers at the finish line, you know, the extent to which there are in-person events, either, you know, pasta parties or you know how we manage awards. Those are all areas where, where people have typically congregated. And so we've looked for alternatives in, in ways that we can deliver an experience that that doesn't necessarily involve having people in close proximity.
0: Right. You mentioned earlier, Andrew, that obviously people want to get back to racing and participating in all of these events. How is business? Are races meeting their capacity? Are Are you selling out? Are you seeing that as far as the participation rates go on your various events?
1: By and large, people want to race. And to the extent that we are able to provide a racing experience, people are super excited. Our registrations are very positive for 2022. We expect it's going to be, for at least from a registration perspective, a, a very strong year. The thing that is still floating out there is travel restrictions. You know, There are yeah. still fairly material impediments to people being able to move from point A to point B. And even in places where there aren't necessarily government restrictions, there is in this environment still some hesitance for people to get on an airplane and fly, in some cases, quite a long way you know, to attend an event. So we're seeing a ton of demand, but more than compared to historical norms, people are looking to race domestically and, yeah. and more locally. And so we're seeing a little bit less destination travel, you know, associated with our races for 2022. Uh, And we think we'll see that through most of 2022 and it'll take till 2023 before people are, are fully comfortable getting on an airplane and flying to a different continent to race. I think people right now are just a little less likely to do that.
0: Yeah. And it speaks to another point I wanted to ask you about, Andrew, and and that is sort of the growth of virtual events and virtual races. I know Ironman adjusted and offered some virtual components to what you are offering. I know that Ironman Group has acquired a, a virtual cycling app. So talk to me a little bit about kind of where that space is. Is that something that you envision will just be a permanent part of the offerings here moving forward or will that fade away at some point?
1: Well, during this period between March and August of of 2020, when we were out of business from a physical race production, we realized that our athletes still wanted, and in some cases needed, an ability to train with purpose, to have goals and objectives, and and to allow being fit and being structured in your fitness. That's something that really matters to our athletes and, and is good for their physical and mental health. And so we created a, a virtual running and triathlon series of the, what we call you know, a virtual racing series for Ironman and Ironman 70.3 through the Rock and Roll Marathon series to, for the Singapore Marathon. And, and that was really important to our athletes. And, and I think we realized that connected training is something that is certainly growing. You see that with Peloton and Zwift and Strava and a lot of these types of brands, but it also provides really effective preparation for specific events. And so we really got smart about virtual racing during the pandemic and, and the creation of our virtual training series uh, has been really important to us. And I think what it gave us confidence in is that a lot of the tools, in particular, the tools that Full Gas, the, the company that's now part of our company, had are, are ones that can really help our athletes prepare for their races. And we feel that there's a real opportunity for us to be more involved in how our athletes prepare for our events. We know how much our athletes care about the races, and this is across every type of race that we organize, mountain biking, road cycling, trail running, road running, triathlon. We know that our athletes care deeply about those races and being as prepared as they possibly can be for their events. They think about the races every day. Am I doing enough? Am I doing too much? Am I doing the right types of training to get me ready for my big race day? And so the full gas acquisition really allowed us and put us in a strong position to be able to get more involved in how we help our athletes prepare for the races. And so I think you're going to see us being more active in this area. More focused on what are the things we can do to help our athletes be ready? Because I think we know a lot about what it takes to be successful at our events and we want our athletes to succeed. And we think there's a role for us to play in in, in helping them do that.
0: Well, let me take you back to live events for a moment. As I said at the outset, you know, Iron Man through all of your different brands, whether it's the Iron Man series or the rock and roll series that you mentioned as well. You've been going into some interesting new markets. It seems, you know, every couple of weeks we get another announcement of a, of a new race for your Iron Man brand. I noticed you're going to Alaska for the first time, and Juneau, and Oregon for the first time, and Salem. Talk for a little bit, Andrew, about. What that process is like for you guys right now in, in having these new relationships, uh, what you're looking for as you're, as you're considering new locations for your races, what goes into the mix for you?
1: Well, you know, I think that we've developed a, a series of proprietary technologies around how we think about where the next event should be, and we've built over the years a, a proprietary CRM system that enables us to be able to understand where we are underpenetrated in terms of athletes. And a lot of our race development activity is really geared towards how do we put a race in a place where we think there will be demand for that event, and it won't come at the expense of other races that we have in either the country or the world. What we're really looking for is we're not in this way unlike a retailer. And we're looking to say, you know, where's the next store and how do you find a place to put that store in a place where there's untapped opportunity and that you're not going to take business away from a store that you already have. And so we, we were pretty thoughtful and pretty careful about looking to places where we think we should have more athletes. And so Alaska, Oregon, you know, and, and we've done this extensively internationally, that's that, you know, what are the countries? Where we think we can place events and place races that will be maximally accretive to the overall portfolio, um, and so that's a- that, that's. Go ahead. Yeah, I
0: was going to say, Andrew, that that's actually that's very interesting. So, without giving away all your trade secrets, but uh, you know, in, in broad strokes, how are you determining where you might have a deficit? There is that come from polling racers and and figuring out where you know, the people who are at your existing events are are coming from that might benefit from a race closer to home?
1: Well, I'll I'll give you a couple of like a, a very brief look at how we do it. Our athletes race all over the world. And so because we have our own CRM system, when I joined the company 10 years ago, I didn't know how many athletes we had in France. I knew the demographic profile of Ironman France and how many of those athletes lived in Nice and how many lived in Paris and how many were Belgian and how many were German. But I didn't know how many French athletes we had. Because our athletes travel all over the place and some French athletes race in Frankfurt and some race in Austria and some race in France, but not all of them. And so what having like a real CRM system allows us to do is to be able to say, all right, you know, let's compare Denmark and Japan and France and look at what we call athlete density. And so we have, you know, 600 athletes per million population in Denmark And we have 30 athletes per million population in Japan. So that opens the door to us saying, well, what's the reason for that? Is it due to economic development? Is it due to the size of the middle class? Is it due to conventional thinking around sports performance for amateur athletes? Or is it we just haven't worked very hard in certain places to try to build our business. And so, as we look at the types of the the variability in terms of athlete density, it it isn't 5 or 10% differences. It's 100%, 200%, 300%, 500% differences in different parts of the world. And so, as we thought about how do we grow, we go to places where we think our athlete density should be dramatically higher after adjusting for all of the the usual demographic factors. And it's been very effective for us. And it's allowed us to shine a spotlight on areas where we should be doing better than we currently are. And it's a technology also that enables us to not just look at a country level, but we can look at a state or provincial level, or in France, a region or department level. And so it's a very versatile tool and has been really important to us as we've thought about where and how... Do we put you know, the next race, which you know, economically, you know, the next unit of capacity, where you put that you know, requires a certain amount of thought because what you don't want to do is you don't want to put races on top of each other that cannibalize each other.
0: And then Andrew, how on top of that? I mean, once you have your data uh, that suggests that a certain area might be, you know, viable for you to expand to, what is the importance of the relationship with the host community for you? From there, obviously, you're always looking for support once once you uh, identify an area that might be a good host. But uh, how how important are those relationships uh, for you once you
1: identify those areas? well they're they're vital essentially i mean absolutely essential and part of what we know is we know what's the economic impact that we bring because you know every time we we do a race we know where the athletes live we know who's getting on an airplane you know who's already in the local market and we have a certain sophistication around how much economic activity we bring and we've got the ability to go talk to the community and say look if, if we're able to bring a race here here's what you can expect in terms of the number of room nights, the real heads and beds impact of having a race, along with all of the other more intangible things around you know, reputation and brand and all of that stuff. But we have the ability to talk with quite a lot of specificity around what people can expect from a ringing in the cash register perspective, which matters to host communities and CVVs and and all of that. So I, as we've, gotten bigger and more sophisticated, our ability to work effectively with host communities has become a real core competency of ours.
0: Well, and there's certainly no shortage of cities uh, that are interested in hosting your events and have in the past. And as we said, you know, Andrew, Ironman has been great about moving around and identifying some new areas of business. I wanted to ask you about one specific event I have to ask uh, while we're on here. Your your signature Ironman race in uh, Kona in Hawaii has had to move this year for the first time in its history. You, you announced you'll relocate to St. George, which has been a known and Great community for endurance races, but just wanted to ask you about that. It's uh, such an unusual uh, situation for you for that race, which is has obviously just been set in in Hawaii for years.
1: Well, I, we're we're looking forward today. It'll be the first time we've ever had an Ironman World Championship not be in the Hawaiian Islands. You know, the you know, Hawaii has really suffered due to due to COVID, and part of what is a challenge for Hawaii and other isolated island environments is that, you know, there there is really limited amounts of ICU capacity in, in these places. And when people get sick, you don't have the ability to cross state lines and go, you know, drive two hours down the road to, to the next city. You know, it's, it's about putting people on airplanes and flying them five hours. So there's a whole different calculus around how you think about the protection of your citizens when, when you live in a very remote place. And so Hawaii has been both hit bad or, or hit hard by COVID, but also, you know, they need to be unusually careful around bringing people, bringing people and tourists, you know, to their islands. And in our conversations over the last, you know, year and a half with Hawaii, it's been clear that you know, the idea of bringing a very big, very international event in a COVID environment to the islands is really tricky, and they are justifiably quite conservative. And so our, and we're long-term partners and long-term guests on the big island of Hawaii, and we don't want to do anything that is going to you know jeopardize the health of the people there or our relationships you know, within that community. So we took the liberty of being very conservative and not trying to to push harder than we thought was appropriate. That opened the door for us to be able to say, look, let's have a bigger event later in 2022, the two-day Ironman World Championship that'll take place in 2022. And that's a first for us. And we think is going to be an amazing, extraordinary event. But it opened the door for us to be able to take the 2021 Iron Maid World Championship, which we weren't expecting to happen at all, and be able to move that to a place where that has a lot of credibility with our athletes that we have very deep relationships with. And the community of St. George and all of the surrounding towns, the Utah Sports Commission has been a long-term partner of ours. So our ability to be able to take a race and put it in a new market... St. George was a perfect partner for us in that respect. And so we have the ability to see what a world championship is going to be like in in May of 2021. And then we're going to do it again a few months later uh, in Kailua-Kona. And so I think it's an elegant solution. It gives both our professional and our age group athletes opportunities to race twice, which really matters to us. It gives us an opportunity to do another big, important event in St. George, again, a long-term partner of ours. And we get to see what people think and what it's like to have a world championship outside of Hawaii, which I think all of us are really looking forward to seeing what, what that experience is going to be like.
0: Yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting to see what kind of feedback you get after that, and and you're certainly not the only uh, event organizer that's been you know put in that position to have to try and condense the calendar a little bit. But as you said, it seems like a, a very reasonable and interesting solution for you guys with that signature race, Andrew. Let me ask you about something else while while we have you here as well. Uh, we've been following the developments with uh, UTMB and uh, and trail running. Uh, you've recently announced your sort of inaugural series bringing together some uh, existing events and maybe some new events in a new trail running series, including a few in, in North America. So talk to me about that. What's happening in, in that space? Are you seeing uh, growth opportunities there from participation end? And are you getting interest from cities and, and races wanting to be part of this?
1: Well, trail running to a lot of us feels like triathlon 30 years ago and that it's different in a lot of ways, but in a lot of ways, it's also the same. Insofar as ultra races, you know, fifty-kilometer, fifty-mile, hundred-mile races represent to many people the same magnitude of personal challenge that completing an Ironman is, and the experience of these long off-road experiences in wild and beautiful places really resonates, and and we think is going to continue to really resonate with athletes to go to a a beautiful place and have. An extraordinary personal challenge in a natural environment with like-minded people is something that really resonates. And we've seen extraordinary growth in trail running in recent years. And we've, for a number of years, we've owned a, a certain number of trail running events in Australia, in New Zealand, races that are over, I mean, remarkably popular And so as we've looked at this, we've we've said to ourselves, we think that there is a real opportunity and that trail running is going to continue to be an important growing sector of the mass participation industry. And over the years, and this has really been a journey of many years, a number of us have developed very close relationships with Catherine and Michelle Pelletti, the founders of UTMB. And UTMB, Ultra Trail du Mont Blanc, is the, the most important Trail running event in the world. It's a it's a full circumnavigation of the Mont Blanc Massif, 100 miles, 35,000 feet of climbing. Mm-hmm. You start in Chamonix, you go into Italy, and then you go into Switzerland, and you know you come back and you finish in Chamonix, exact same place you start. And UTMB week now consists of a number of different races, and 10,000 people compete in it a year over. There's a 100-mile, there's a 100K, there's a 56K, there's another 100-mile race, there is a 42-kilometer race, all of which really represents sort of the pinnacle of trail running to to serious trail runners around the world. And it felt to us not dissimilar in a lot of important ways to Kona in, in the Ironman universe, that, that the passionate people, you want to be in Chamonix in August, just like Triathletes want to be in Kailua, Kona, you know, on the second Saturday of October. And so we've, you know, over this period of years of, of working with Michelle and Catherine and, and their family, I, I think we've really realized that we have a unique ability to help each other uh, and that they are remarkably deep and perceptive in the trail running world. And that our company, you know, we are... A global company with 27 offices in 16 countries around the world and have grappled with many of the things that they're just starting to grapple with as they think about how do we become a bigger, more powerful international brand and and expanding from, just like we did, expanding from one race in Hawaii into a global thing. They've started with one race in Chamonix or a series of races in and our partnership is really, how do we really take the promise of UTMB, of the race, the values, the community, and share that more broadly around the world? And so that's what we're doing. And it's super exciting.
0: Boy, 35,000 feet is a lot of feet of it's a, it's, elevation. It's,
1: it's a big day. You know, it's, um, <laughs> you know, it's, it's 100 miles, uh, the fastest uh, elite athletes do it in 20 hours and change. But mm-hmm. but the median finish time for UTMB is I think it's more than forty hours and and so that's the you know the average person so they're out for two full nights you're out in the mountains yeah. racing all night long it, it's it's amazing
0: yeah that's a long day of racing uh, <laughs> Andrew let me let me close with you here I mean and and the answer may maybe some of what you were just talking about with what you're seeing in these ultra you know, trail runs but uh, Ironman Group as I said has its hand in so many different types of endurance racing beyond just, of course, Ironman and the, and the, you know, the traditional running races. I know you're involved in gravel racing and some of these other areas. What uh what do you think the next trend is right now? You know, or the, I guess the biggest opportunity for growth uh, in this mass participation world, is it trail running? Is it, is it something else? Where do you, where do you have your eyes on uh, as you're looking to the future?
1: Well, I, I think there's still huge parts of the world, emerging parts of the world as, as we eg- exit COVID where people are only now starting to, where meaningful segments of populations are now starting to put a priority on their physical health and physical fitness. And that in in many parts of the world, people were so focused on putting a roof over their head and food on the table and educating their children that they didn't have time or resources to be able to say, how do I optimize my own health? And so we've seen the emergence of endurance racing, marathons, triathlons, in Vietnam, in Indonesia, in Thailand, and where 15 years ago, those races were you know, were largely expats participating. What we've seen in the last 10 years is a really fundamental shift where our races in the Philippines are filled with Filipinos and our races in Vietnam are filled with Vietnamese nationals. And that's new. And I think that's a fundamental trend that we're gonna see continuing into the future. So that, that's one trend where what has historically been called emerging markets are going to continue to be vibrant growth areas for people who are putting on ambitious endurance events that capture people's imagination. The second major trend is just dirt and that running and riding on dirt is something we're going to see more and more of in the coming years. Part of that has to do with you know more cars on the road and the the experiences of running and riding on asphalt interacting with automobiles but another bigger part of it is just the experience of running on dirt and riding your bike on dirt is terrific and and being it's it's hard to take it apart and and say exactly what it is that makes running on a dirt road better than running on a paved road but when you know when you do it you know and so I think that people are going to continue to want to do these really ambitious events that test themselves and find out where what's possible for each individual. I think that's something that's like deeply hardwired into the human condition. You know, what's possible for me? Where are my limits? And doing those in beautiful places and beautiful environments, I think is really gonna be something that's gonna be increasingly important in the coming years.
0: Yeah, I think endurance racing is one of the few industries where dirt can be an emerging trend, but I I agree with you. I think we're seeing that as well, even in the stories we've written recently in the magazine, there is something about it. I think that is appealing and speaks to what you were saying, that notion of just being able to conquer challenges and and have a, a real experience somewhere. You know, Andrew, uh, I, I want to be a cognizant of your time. As I said, I know you're busy uh, traveling the world, looking for new places, but, you know, we very much appreciate you taking, you know, this much time out to kind of talk about what Ironman has been up to. Uh, it's been fun and fascinating uh, from our end just to kind of chart your success and, and see the new markets that you're going into, both for new destinations and new areas within the industry. So, congratulations to you and the team, and certainly wish you the best of luck as we uh, get back to something that looks closer to normal here in the, uh, in the weeks and months to come.
1: Thank you, Jason. We, too, are looking forward to uh, whatever the new normal turns out to be.
0: All right. Thanks so much for your time, Andrew. Appreciate it. All right. Bye-bye. This has been another edition of the Sports Travel Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast on all your favorite platforms, including iTunes, iTunes, google play and spotify past episodes are also available at sportstravelmagazine.com which features regularly updated breaking news and in-depth features on stories related to the sports events industry be sure to visit us daily at sportstravelmagazine.com at sportstravel on twitter and instagram and at sports travel Magazine on facebook and
1: linkedin until then this is jason Gowers for sports travel and thanks for listening